welcome to the Election Ride Home for Monday, September 9th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, Sanford is running, Steyer makes the October debate, get ready for Q3, and Giffords releases a candidate-heavy video about gun safety. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First up today, welcome to our new world. We now have a third Republican primary candidate challenging the sitting president. Former South Carolina governor slash former South Carolina congressman Mark Sanford has officially decided that he is running. He joins a field with former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld and former Representative Joe Walsh. I last got into detail on Sanford back on August 19th when he told the press, specifically the TV program Meet the Press, that he was considering a run and would announce his decision by Labor Day, depending on whether his four sons approved. Well, he missed that deadline, just barely, but still, he did join the race last night on Fox News Sunday, which is apparently among the programs the sitting president enjoys watching on a Sunday evening. This was proved out when said president tweeted some stuff in response. Okay, so following the pattern with other recent announcements, let's hear the audio from the candidate's launch video. Now, I gotta warn you, this one, like several of Sanford's previous videos, has a fair amount of noise in it, like road noise and rumbling and stuff like that. And so that's been covered up by a rather loud music track. So I did try to reduce some of the worst noise, and I think you can hear what he's saying in this, which is the important part. Okay, listen in. I'm Mark Sanford, and after a lot of thinking, praying, and talking to friends, I've decided to throw my hat in the ring and will run for president in the Republican primary. I don't know what will come of it, but I believe what's happening in Washington needs challenging. We're headed toward the most predictable financial crisis in the history of our country, and we've never been as financially vulnerable save for the start of our republic, the Civil War, and World War II. I can't sit on the sidelines and not speak up, and all of us should find a way to make our voices heard. It's the only thing that can change things in Washington. My focus on debt and spending is not to suggest that other issues aren't important. They are. It's also not to suggest that I don't have other differences with the president. I do, and my comments are well chronicled. It's just to say that in a long-shot effort, it's best to focus. And so I will in pointing out how important it is that we change our course on debt and spending. Democrats aren't talking about it, and instead are in a daily competition of more versus more at the presidential level. The president himself has called himself the king of debt and ruled out action on the very things that drive our debt and spending. As Republicans, I believe it's vital that we debate what has historically been a cornerstone belief, that it wasn't right to hand to our kids the bill for our government expenses that you couldn't spend more than you took in forever, and that being conservative on money matters made common sense. Every four years, we focus as a country on the presidential race, what we value and where we want to go next as a nation. This is our chance. Waiting another four years for debate on this subject would hurt all of us, because without an offsetting debate to more versus more, you simply end up with more, and me and you will be paying for it. So for these reasons, I'm stepping forward. As I do, I ask for your prayers, wisdom, and help, but most of all, I ask for your involvement. It'll take all of us pushing independently toward financial sanity and changing discourse in Washington for us to get there. But I believe that we can, if we all keep pushing. Join us, and you can find me at MarkSanford.com. Sanford followed up with another video on his official website right below that one. It's titled Two Other Things. And in it, Sanford discusses the need for what he calls a conservative political culture and humility. 
It's worth going to the site and watching that because it gets at the points that Sanford and frankly many of his fellow Republicans challenging Trump are presenting when they make their arguments for why they're in the primary at all. The top issue for Sanford is fiscal conservatism, but right behind that he has other key concerns, which I can kind of sum up by saying leaders need to have integrity. They need to demonstrate values and commitment to service. Sanford's pitch is that there is a real responsibility in being a public servant, and it's clear that he feels the current trend in the Republican Party, as expressed by Trump anyway, is not meeting his standards. And obviously, he wouldn't be running if he didn't think there were still people in the Republican Party who still have a conservative set of values, whether those are economic or social or both, and want to express those by voting for somebody other than Trump. One of the biggest problems Sanford will face, aside from the obviously good poll numbers that Trump has in the party, is that over this past weekend, South Carolina Republican Party members voted to cancel the South Carolina primary. Sanford is the former governor of South Carolina. He also served for many years as a congressional representative for South Carolina. So the single state he would have had the best shot at winning, or at least doing well in a primary, won't have a primary. That's really, really bad. And to be honest, I have no idea how Sanford will be able to overcome that. According to a report by the Post and Courier, Sanford has $1.35 million in cash on hand from his failed 2018 re-election bid for Congress, and that will be the starting point for his presidential race. Okay, so here we are. We're five months out from the very first primary voting, and there are four people now, if you include Trump, in the Republican primary. So I gotta wonder, will there be debates? Oh, I doubt it. I doubt it. But never say never. And next up, let's make it official. Activist, former hedge fund manager, and current billionaire Tom Steyer has qualified for the October DNC debate. This news came from a CBS News slash YouGov poll released yesterday in a poll of Nevada voters specifically. Steyer picked up precisely 2% in that poll, which gives him his fourth qualifying result and means he has met both criteria to appear in October. Not this Thursday, October. There have actually been five new qualifying polls published since I last examined that list on Friday. There is a mix of news there, and those polls cover everything from nationwide voter pools down to specific tracking in Iowa, Nevada, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. There are kind of a lot of items that jump out at me. First, this notion of a three-way race between Biden, Sanders, and Warren really does have a lot of data to back it up. Within these polls, you see those three candidates often playing within the margin of one another. And overall, at least from the polls coming out of CBS slash YouGov, you can start to do some electoral math and see that Warren continues to rise, while Biden is still the frontrunner, Sanders is still viable, and everybody else is kind of in the other category. Another notable item here is that Biden is absolutely the Godzilla of South Carolina. In that South Carolina poll, which had a margin of error, by the way, of plus or minus 4.3%, Biden got 43% of overall support in South Carolina. Sanders got 18%, Warren got 14%, and nobody else broke out of the single digits. Those numbers are drastically different if you look at the national picture or even other states, but those early voting states tend to set the tone for media coverage around the early voting. So a super good showing in one or more of those can affect things later. And by the way, so can a particularly poor showing. Okay, so why does this matter? Well, we're approaching the phase of the election now where actual voting in a caucus or primary is not that far away. 
I mean, yeah, the earliest voting is in February, but still, we're within a five-month window now for that, and we're about six months out from Super Tuesday. So these state-level polls are going to start to draw potentially more attention in the media in the coming months than the national ones. That's because the race to get delegates is decided state by state in primaries and caucuses. The national numbers are interesting, but you have to have this state by state win to actually add up to something that works. Okay, next little thing. Given the Steyer factor that he's in the October debate, in October, we know right now that we're facing a two-night debate on October 15th and 16th. The field will likely be split into five on one night and six on the other. The only way that would cut back to 10, and thus one night, would be if some already qualified candidate were to drop out, which seems quite unlikely to me. Possible, but very unlikely. The last item these polls tell us is that Representative Tulsi Gabbard is still on the hunt for two more qualifying polls for October. She needs to get those by September 29th, which is kind of coming up. She's got two qualifying polls already, and in the five new polls that rolled out over this past weekend, she got 1% in every one of them. But she needs 2%. If I were in that campaign HQ, I would be tearing my hair out and screaming and setting the building on fire. Gabbard is right on the cusp of making this. Also, Williamson has one qualifying poll, but hit 0% in all of these new polls. So she may be better off waiting for more national polling to come in, where she tends to do a bit better. But right now, the picture looks like Gabbard is a strong maybe, Williamson is a long shot, and Steyer, well, he's in. Okay, true story time. When I graduated from high school, I went down to the library and got a book on stock picking, and I picked a bunch of total jokers by following this weird, magical thinking strategy involving curves and the Dow and all this weird stuff. Anyway, my first five stock picks all went down the drain. And there is a lesson there. Do some research on an actual company rather than using some bizarre magic formula. And that's where My Wall Street comes in. My Wall Street does the research, and they tell you about stocks they think are solid and why? You get actual facts about actual companies. My Wall Street helps you enter the world of investing with a trustworthy partner at your side. Or if you're already there and you want some excellent research, this is the tool you need. So check it out. Election Ride home listeners can access the entire My Wall Street app, all that research for free, and use it for 30 days instead of the normal seven-day free trial. After a full month, you can stick with their expert guidance for just $9.99 a month. So visit mywallst.com slash ride to download the app now and get access to their market beating stock picks and expert guidance. Again, that link is spelled mywallst.com slash ride. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at byte.com. Bite Clear Liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, so next up, let's talk about quarterly fundraising and strategy related to calendar time. 
In the small business world where I live, most of us just wrapped up fiscal Q3 because we deal with the IRS and we pay taxes on their quote-unquote quarterly schedule. The IRS divides the year into these wacky segments that they call quarters, but they aren't actually one-fourth of a given year. There are reasons for that, but this is fortunately not a tax policy podcast. Yet. For clarity, the IRS defines the four quarters using these deadlines for filing, covering the months leading up to them. April 15th, June 15th, September 16th, and January 15th. You might notice in there that the number of months in each quarter is half wrong. It goes three, two, three, four. Well, okay, whatever. The FEC schedule is in fact sane and requires candidates to file their finances at the end of actual literal calendar quarters of the year. You get a two-week grace period, just like the IRS, in order to do your bookkeeping after the end of a given quarter and get your books together and hand them in. So, the deadlines to file for a campaign are April 15th, July 15th, October 15th, and then January 31st. That last one is a year-end report, so you get an extra few weeks to tally everything up and make sure you corrected any possible mistakes in earlier reports. In other words, if you're filing your own personal quarterly taxes, even for your small business, and you think, oh, Q3 is over, well, it ain't for the candidates. They have until the end of this month, September, to keep fundraising. And then in mid-October, we'll have another raft of those who raised how much money stories. But again, this will also creep into the fundraising emails you get as candidates start to look at their numbers and ask you to make them better. It is a ticking clock racing to the end of September. Part of why this is important has to do with the timing of who might enter or exit the race. For instance, both Sanford and Walsh entered near the end of a quarter. The expectation would be that their fundraising would naturally be low because of that. They don't have a full calendar quarter to raise money. And by the way, I've never done a Republican primary fundraising roundup on this show, but I'm gonna come mid-October. The flip side of that over on the Democratic side is that the existing campaigns are required to disclose their financials by October 15th. Hmm, guess what else happens on October 15th? Well, bingo, you got it. That's the first night of the October DNC debate. So leading into that particular moment would be a logical point to drive some folks out of the race. If you have a candidate who's polling 0% nationally and they hit October and they're not on that debate stage and they don't have any other clear prospects and their fundraising is still low, that might be a logical time to bow out. We are beginning to hit these now or never moments, you know? Like for months I've been saying, it's early, don't worry about it, everybody has a shot. Well, I am now saying officially it's not early anymore. We are at halftime now. We're maybe a little bit past halftime. If you are not putting points on the board right now, you have no shot. So that's your perspective on what's happening with financial deadlines and what will drive a lot of the news cycle and the stuff that comes into your inbox over the coming month. Early this morning, the organization Giffords released a video featuring eight Democratic primary candidates. Now, Giffords is an organization founded in part by former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords of Arizona, who you may recall survived an assassination attempt in 2011 at an event in Tucson. Now, Giffords barely survived. It was a gunshot to the head. But she did survive, and she's devoted much of her time since then to gun safety legislation. Oh, and by the way, Giffords is married to Mark Kelly. 
You may recall him as one of those astronaut twins where one brother went to the ISS, the International Space Station, for a super extended stay and then returned, and all the while, scientists studied them both to see if their genetic makeup and other factors diverged due to that time in space versus time on the ground. It is fascinating stuff, look it up, and oh, by the way again, Mark Kelly himself is running for Senate in Arizona in 2020, and he's got a solid chance there of flipping Senator Martha McSally's Republican seat. With all that out of the way, that couple founded this thing called Giffords, and that is an umbrella for several advocacy organizations. And they released a public service announcement this morning. Listen in. Gun violence is literally life and death. That has become so numbingly common that we have kids going to school wondering if they're going to be physically safe. Learning about how to duck, cover, hide. For fear that there is a mass shooter roaming the hallways of their school. That's wrong. That shouldn't happen in a country like ours. That's a tragic reality that exists today. And it's deep, it's serious, and it's wrong what's going on. So we cannot allow this to be inevitable or to be the expectation that we set for our kids. The children who are sitting in those classrooms afraid and in terror could care less about whether we are Democrats or Republicans. We have accepted the unacceptable for too long. And we're going to stand up and we're going to fight. Insist, demand, use the strongest possible terms. Push and push and push with every fiber in our being, with the urgency and the solutions. So the parents and teachers and kids don't have to worry about this. The time has now come. Doing nothing is not acceptable. It is time for action. We have to act in a bold way. Save thousands of lives. This will be a moment of determination. Determination to change. At the end of the PSA, they cut to near silence and words appear on the screen. The first statement reads, quote, Our kids deserve to be safe at school, end quote. The second statement reads, quote, Who is your hashtag gun safety president, end quote. And in case you didn't catch all those candidates from their voices, the list includes, in alphabetical order, Biden, Booker, Buttigieg, Harris, Klobuchar, O'Rourke, Sanders, and Warren. Now, that is everybody who will be in the debate this week, minus Castro and Yang. It's unclear to me why those two are not in the video. My guess is it was just a scheduling thing because Giffords told CNN that they had reached out to, quote, all the candidates, end quote. All right, so reading here from a CNN article by Dan Merica, quote, The video, the first in a series produced by Giffords' Courage to Fight Gun Violence, will be part of a six-figure digital ad buy targeted toward Houston around this week's third Democratic debate. While Democratic candidates have some differences on how to combat gun violence, the video stands out because of the candidate's unified message on the issue in the midst of an increasingly contentious primary. Cast against a gray slate and edited to make it appear that the candidates are finishing each other's sentences, the candidates uniformly tout the need for stricter gun laws to protect children. End quote. Expect this issue, gun safety laws specifically, especially in Texas, to be a huge focus in Thursday's debate. Well, that is it for one more episode of the Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter at Chris Higgins. I had a lovely weekend at the XOXO Festival, a little rainy, but lovely. It was legitimately awesome running into so many of y'all, and I admit that more than once I was overly surprised to run into old friends who are listeners, and I just didn't know because I've been pretty busy since April. So, hello again, and sorry I might have yelled, shut the front door, when you told me. That's for you, Dan. And for the rest of y'all, there will be debate bingo. I'm working on it tonight. I hope to have a segment on that tomorrow with a download link. 
As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow.